Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Traxler and Carolyn Ford to explore the latest in government cybersecurity news and trending topics. Now, let's get to the point. Good morning. Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity. I'm Carolyn Ford, and I'm here with Eric Trexler. Good morning, Eric. Good morning, Carolyn. We've had a, a weekend of uh, chaos. Your, your Google Fiber went down. I had a flood yep. in my house. The plumber's here. If you hear background noise, I forgot to mention that one. And we had Cozy Bear reportedly, uh, you know, be discovered in, in uh, one of the most, what will turn out to, I, I believe, to be one of the most significant um, efforts against the U.S. government in this uh, early part of the decade. Yeah, way to tee up our show. So today we have, we're going to talk about what's happened in 2020 in cybersecurity, the biggest things that have happened, and then what our predictions are for 2021. And we got Mike Bruce, executive editor at Defense News and C4ISRnet at Sightline Media back with us. Hi, Mike. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, good to see you again. And we have Phil Goldstein, Senior Editor for FedTech and State Tech. Hey, Phil. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah. Gentlemen, before we kick off, I'd, I'd love to say one thing, and, and that's I have found that in our podcast over the last two years, the media side of the house is universally the most well-rounded, most informed on these cybersecurity type of issues we talk about. I, I, I can't explain why other than I know you're you're looking at all sides of it. You do a ton of investigative reporting, but I've just found that that is it, it's it's the case and it's been great to talk. So I'm, I'm so glad you're here. Well, thanks for having us. Yeah. And I agree. You know, you you guys have you, you have your finger on the pulse of what's happening. And like Eric said, it's really well rounded. So I just want to jump right in, just like Eric already teed this up to Cozy Bear. So, Eric, go. Cozy okay, gentlemen, we'll try to get this podcast out as quickly as possible. We're not holding you to anything. It is Monday, 1124, December 14th. The government just released the SolarWinds, um, what would I call it, uh, Orion Code Compromise and how to mitigate that. It's, as I mentioned, 1124 Eastern Time. All civilian governments have been mandated to shut down their, their SolarWinds Orion products and systems by noon today. So just love to talk about that a little bit, what your thoughts are, recognizing this is breaking information. There hasn't been a lot released. We don't know. Phil, I'll, I'll throw it to you. I mean, you know, Orion, the, the solar, solar winds is a, a, a very um, well-distributed and, and, and used product across the government. Absolutely. And, you know- Where do we go? The early reporting suggests that the two confirmed agencies that we know, um, you know, this exploit uh, was used to monitor their email traffic is the Treasury Department and an element of the Commerce Department, the NTIA. But, you know, as we were talking about before we started recording, it's quite likely that we don't know the full extent of this and that, um, you know, the malicious actors in this case, um, you know, Cozy Bear, um, you know, Russian intelligence could have had, you know, quite wide access, um, you know, across the federal government since this tool is so widely used and distributed. Um, you know, I 
don't think that we can speculate at this point how much this has impacted the um, you know defense and intelligence community. But um, you know, I don't think that we can put anything off the table at this point. Yeah, I mean, Mike, they're well deployed across the uh, the DoD side of the house, right? Right, that's true. And um, you know, one of the things we, we were just kind of chatting before before the show started is, you know, this is a this is one of those areas where you kind of ex- expect trust because, I mean, Eric, you've read this read about this a little more than we have, but this this came through updates and patches, correct? Like this, this that's part of where the that's part of where the vulnerability came in. Well, that's what the early reporting is saying. I mean, the the government just announced this yesterday on the 13th. So we don't know, but let's pretend for a second. Who cares if it did or did not? I mean, obviously we care, but it could happen. We've been talking about this as an industry for a long time. It is an avenue, an attack vector, an avenue of attack. You know, know, the early reporting suggested it was manly inserted as part of the supply chain, the software supply chain. I've worked for an OEM my whole career, really since leaving the military, that's a huge risk. You have somebody come in who's trusted on the network and insert something into your software that allows them to access it. You know, I was, I was reading FireEye had a really good report on this. They just put out on yesterday. Um, and, and they talk about it. It went dormant for up to two weeks and then it retrieved and executed commands called jobs that included the ability to transfer files, execute files, profile the system, reboot the machine, and disable system services. I mean, that's those are the crown jewels, right? Once you're in the network. Well, they they said it constituted, and I'm quoting from a New York Times article, quoting FireEye, top tier operational tradecraft. And I think that that's true, you know. And we've written about on FedTech the importance of the IT and ICT supply chain, um, you know, security, and how important it is that um, you know federal customers. Uh, trust the uh, security protocols, you know, all the way up and down the supply chain from their their vendor partners. Um, you know, and this is also coinciding at a time when, for the defense community, we're moving to the CMMC, um, you know, standards for uh, defense contracting to make sure that um, you know defense contractors are meeting minimum standards for security. So this is only going to grow in importance as we move into um, the new year, this idea of software supply chain security, um, IT supply chain security. Yeah, I agree with you, Phil. Plus the other thing we didn't mention, this is coming off of last week where FireEye Mandiant reported that their red team tools were stolen. Are they related? Are they not? I mean, the, the reports, early reports are saying APT29 Cozy Bear We'll find out over time, but this is going to be a problem that isn't just this incident. This is going to continue. Mike, yeah, you were going to say something? No, I was just going to say, you know, the, and I think the initial reporting has, has said that this um, this happened, what, early summer, late late spring? And- no, early spring. I mean, we're talking yeah. right in the midst of COVID and everything else. So, and, and to me that what... Um, Again, we're super early today, but I think one of the long, the long-term impacts here is, you know, I think sometimes we get we hear, oh, that the threat's evolving and the threat's moving fast, and you say, yes, I know that this is what we're doing is revolutionary. But how many times have we heard about, hey, we have to be able to identify faster, we have to be able to identify when there's a threat to the network, you know, 
within a minute or 10 minutes or an hour, whatever, you know, whatever that conversation is. And then, you know, to have, we have to be able to make sure someone's out of the network immediately and then have this kind of this lingering, this time, I think that will kind of reinforce, like, if there is any kind of silver lining, maybe it will reinforce some of these, these core tenets of, of cybersecurity that we've been talking about for so long, which is, you know, the threat is evolving, that, that, that folks are on the networks entirely too long. And that, that as much as, as much as we think there's been an improvement, like there's still a really, really long way to go. And, and, and if this is Russia, which is what the initial reporting is like, they're, they're on top of their game right now. Well, another lesson is that, you know, you can't take your eye off the ball, even though, you know, 2020 was dominated and has been dominated by two big stories, which, you know, CISA within the federal government and then the wider federal government obviously had huge roles in, which is, you know, the pandemic first and foremost, and then the 2020 election, you know, ton of government attention resources paid to securing the election. Um, you know, securing health data and vaccine data and scientific research around, um, you know, the development of coronavirus vaccines. And all of that was necessary. I don't think that you can say it wasn't necessary, but, um, you know, clearly this went unnoticed for six, seven, eight months um, and, you know, maybe longer. And, um, you know, you just you cannot take your eye off the ball and you can't take your eye off the ways in which um, intrusions can come in that, you know, um, are not the most obvious things, even though IT supply chain has been a top concern within the government for several years now. Yeah, top tier tradecraft. Caroline, do you remember Dickie George from uh, Johns Hopkins APL? He was on the podcast uh, one of our probably first half year. So, you know, I used to talk to him a lot. He went through the Cold War and he said, never take your eye off the Russians. They're oh, right. so good at what yeah. they do. Sounds like my dad. Right? And, 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 and that's what we're seeing here. And, you know, I, I did some research this morning on solar winds. I didn't know it as well as I should have. Uh, but there's an inc- what, what a what a rich target. I mean, if you're going to pick somebody, when you look at the Orion product, it's their enterprise management and monitoring capability. I feel for these guys. I mean, they do it all. Right. They do virtualization management, IP address tracking, uh, server and application configuration, application and infrastructure, monitoring, tracking, device tracking, network bandwidth analysis. I mean, what a what a rich target to get into the operation. Your point of our eye was all on really the vaccine. Right. That's what we're all worried about. And it, it left us. This is our blind side. And to your point, Mike. Um, the speed of which we've got to get to better cybersecurity, that actually brings us to the first prediction that um, I want to talk about after we've (laughs) moved past Cozy Bear for a minute, which we won't move past this for a long time. But um, the first prediction is about how remote work has accelerated the move to the cloud and that security in the past has kind of been maybe shoehorned in to quote Nico Pop that, that wrote this prediction. Um, and we've got to get to a place with cybersecurity where it's an enabling engine and that it, it, it is the foundation. And, it will, and that accelerates and pivots us to the cloud 
we can take advantage of the speed, the scale, the resilience of the digital transformation. So my question to you, Mike, is um, you kind of already brought it up, but Nico Pop's prediction is that the Stasi and the zero trust um, architectures from Gartner and Forrester are they're just going to be accelerated. They're going to be implemented faster. And have we seen that in government? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, if we're we're talking specifically about zero trust, I mean, that's can can you go to a, can you go to a sales meeting? Can you go to any kind of government virtual event or any speech and and not have that included? I mean, it's just a crazy um it's just a crazy level of ubiquitousness that 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 we're hearing when it comes to zero trust. So um I think that will I think that will continue to accelerate. And I think what, what Nico was saying, which I was was kind of interested in, was um and correct me if I'm wrong, but he's saying, hey, cybersecurity is moving up the food chain, right? That that it's becoming what yeah. and I think you know we could have had this discussion last year or maybe two years ago or five years ago or ten years ago. And I think you know we've seen varying levels of um, of responsibility uh, that that and budget that have come as it becomes more important, but um, you know we've already kind of talked about it today. Like, you know, you can go ask your neighbor who's Chris Krebs. They they know now. Like, people know who Chris Krebs is. You can, you know, I'm a big fan of Wired magazine. They ran like an eight page profile of General Nakasone um, this year. You know, uh, you talk about we're in Northern Virginia. You talk about the school hacking that's going on there. You talk about, um, you know, in the defense world, even like European defense ministers who had their Zoom hack. So I think like those are all very pop culture, very broad references. But when you can see that and um, I think that just double down, it, it doubles down for folks how important all of this is. And, and so you will see. I think more leaders saying, "Hey, this can't happen. We can't, we can't continue in this way." And I think the second part of that is is leaders saying, "How come, how come so and so can do this and we can't?" You know, this old argument, in the, particularly in the defense world, where someone holds up their iPhone and says, "How come I can do this with my phone, but I can't do it, right?" You know, on base or somewhere else. And I think we're starting to see that a little bit with. You know, and I, and I know Nico talked about this, but with security too. You know, think back to the early days of the pandemic. Um, in the Pentagon, at least, there were tons of offices that weren't on Zoom. They said, "Hey, we're only going to be on mm-hmm. WebEx. We're only going to be on, um, you know, our own video video." We're, we're still we're still seeing that, Mike. I mean, there's a lot of right. our our a lot of people in the government that we can't get to them on Zoom. Exactly, and so, but then there's a whole shift, like a whole whole offices that said. Yeah, we are going to we are going to make this work. We can use Zoom and and like you know even within the services, certain offices within certain services and other services, which said no, we're not going to touch it. And so that's what I I thought he raised a really good point there. Nico did by saying like you do want this security to and kind of roll my eyes here, but you do want security baked in, but and you don't want to have to think about it. But I think there is going to be this frustration. Um, that hey, if you don't, if you have a secure system and it, and it can't get the job done, like you know, that might not be good enough. And so I think there right. is that's where the conflict is going to be. There's a blend. I, I, that's, I think that's what's going to really show up in 2021. Is like 
I need to get the job done no matter what, because working from home or, you know, or I'm remote, Yeah. but it needs to have the capability. It needs to be intuitive and it has to be easy. And that's, that's, that's a long time conflict in technology. I think it will, I think it will be very prevalent in 2021. As he says, it just needs to work like zoom, right? right? It's just got to be there when you need it. Assuming your Google fiber is working. Yeah. Mission beats all right. Well, but you got to have security wrapped around. It's, it's got to work, but it's, it's almost, you know, it's, it's got to be built in. It's got to be, it's got to be stealthy, right? It's got to work. It's got to support you. You've got to be able to do your job, do your, complete your mission, but safely. Yeah. But just like you said, Mike, it's just got to work, right? So how's that going to look in the government guys? I, you know, that's what, that's where um, I think it's, I think there's going to be a couple things. One, it's either not going to work and we're just going to see folks say like, I'm not, you know, and this is a very elementary example, but like, hey, I'm not going to do Zoom or I'm not going to be on video conference or you're going to have to talk to me on the phone or whatever it is. Um, or you're going to have to use more complicated, um, you know, or or maybe less user intuitive systems. And I think, um, you know, I think people are willing, I think that's kind of, that's been happening for a long time. So I think people are willing to do that. But it's, I mean, there's going to be a real conflict there, I think, that, that you won't see people um, just saying like, well, the security protocols say this, but my general wants X. Like, that's, that's where things are going to come to a head. But, but I think we can build in security. If you look at what CMMC is trying to do, if you look at the awareness that we just spoke about, I mean, there are things we can do to make things a lot more secure, a lot better without constricting usability. I really do think we can, we can do such a better job. We just aren't doing And that's where the opportunity comes from, right? I mean, that's why the, that's why there's so many folks in industry who see that there's this, this creates an opportunity for them. And, and it's not just what was me. I just wish we'd move faster. Who doesn't? Yeah. All right. Let's go on to the next one. It's yours, Eric. So this one's the disinformation, which scares the hell out of me, to be honest. Yeah, disinformation. This was mine. And this one, you know, thinking about it, I've been doing a lot of speaking on it. This to me is one of the larger issues in our of our time, I think. And I I think, Phil, you and and Mike probably have a much better perspective than I do being journalists, being from the media side. But, you know, when we see adversaries weaving, weaving factual data with 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 false data, falsehoods, when we see the adversaries creating uh, protests from Russia or from wherever, it's like the pick on Russia episode, I guess. But, but when, you, when you see people putting data out there that's, that's believable or that people want to believe, it becomes the new information. And, and the, the line for this, as I wrote it up, was disinformation is the new information. That's what people believe. Yeah. I don't want to get too political, but to a very large degree, the call is coming from inside the house. Uh, it's pretty undeniable at this point if you look at the way that platforms like Twitter, for instance, have reacted to claims that President Trump has made about election fraud, that um, he himself is a large vector for disinformation. I mean, things have gotten so bad, the New York Times now has a section on their website called Data Distortions to track misinformation and, and disinformation. Actually, it's called Daily Distortions. My, my apologies. And, you know, they track what's gone viral online this week, and it covers everything from disinformation about the election to the coronavirus vaccine. And you've seen some technology companies 
you know, take some steps to try to combat the spread. For example, you know, YouTube said uh, recently that they're going to forbid the uploading of new videos that claim there was widespread fraud and under the election that were uploaded before the safe harbor deadline, which I think was December 8th, would remain on YouTube with the company kind of putting something, you know, on the, the video, some appendation to the video linking to official results about the, the certifications. You know, I was reading an interesting article in doing 530 or in doing some research on this from 538 about how the president primed a large percentage of the Republican Party to believe disinformation about the election. But the, the pandemic has kind of accelerated anxieties of all kinds in American life. And that article was quoting person Oliver Roberts, Robinson, who's a neuroscientist who runs the Neuroscience and Mental Health Group's Anxiety Lab at University College London. And he said, quote, people are anxious and so they're looking for answers. And some of those answers in this case are provided by disinformation. Okay. So yeah. people basically saying people have this anxiety build up and they're just looking for things. They want to believe something and they want to believe what they hear in some cases, if you lean one way or another. Sure. You know, confirmation yeah. bias and, and believing in something that helps you make sense of a very chaotic uh, world right now. Um, you know, if it's something that helps calm yourself down and also that something that makes you feel like you as an individual have some deeper insider knowledge that nobody else does. Yes. Or you belong to a community that you can bond with that gives you some fulfillment. Yeah. I mean, that's how conspiracy yeah. theories flourish. And as we look ahead to next year, I, I don't know exactly how you put the genie back in the bottle. I don't think it can be put back in the bottle. I think you can only try to mitigate the spread. And that comes from having more responsible leaders in our public life. It comes from technology companies being more proactive to stamp this out because, you know, you could try to take a video down or block something, but, you know, by the time you get to it, it's already, you know, spread. The damage is done. You know, yeah. The damage is done and it's spread on that platform and it's probably spread off of that platform onto another platform that maybe has far fewer scruples about allowing that kind of content. So I, I will, I will say, and I'm, I'm writing a piece on this right now, um, but CISA has released a disinformation toolkit that I found to be pretty good on COVID-19. And, you know, one of the things I was talking to the PRPR team about was, you know, how do we, what, what, what does a CISO or a CIO do at an agency to ensure that, you know, the information put out is accurate and they are the reputable source as opposed to going to YouTube or Facebook or wherever you may want to go. Um, but I would say CISA also has, it's, it's pretty crafty. They, they use pizza in an example um, and they're, they've got an evergreen infographic. I'm sorry. Yeah. You, did you see that? We'll, we'll link to it in the show notes. It's, it's pretty good to talk about how a foreign adversary could sow disinformation though. And they do a really good, what I would consider just my opinion here, a, a really good apolitical job of, of saying, Hey, this is what's happening. So be aware. But yeah, Phil, I, I agree need with that. You. I, was, I was just going to add from a, from a military perspective too, you know, I think this kind of ties into the first two predictions here, but you know, we saw the air force in the last year reorganize, um, what's called 16th Air Force, and it's now an information warfare yep. command that, you know, oversees some of the Air Force's uh, 
cyber units. But one of the things they talk a lot about um, is uh, deniable plausibility and like being able to essentially show their work and, and being able to put that information out there. So someone else says like, if, you know, another nation says, hey, this is going on, you, you can say, no, it's not. Like here, here's how we determined that this is not what's happening. So I think that will be, I think we'll see a lot more movement in that area, but also this kind of show your work and, and working it out a little in public a little bit more so that, so that folks can believe what's happening. Or, and they know what to believe. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I wrote this when I did a ton of information research and thinking. Really, the thinking is the piece I, I spend a lot of time on. Um, but I mean, imagine World War II, right? Up through, what, 43, the Allies were not on good footing. Imagine if the adversary, the Germans and the Japanese in this case, had the ability to pollute the American people's minds on the home front and what that might have done. I mean, that's really with globalization, with the Internet, with disinformation, that's going to be a big part of the next war. And that's going to be a big problem, right? Well, and like you said, Bill, it just takes a little piece. Like I saw um, during pre-election, Biden was, I think he was in Florida, but the sign behind him said, um, welcome Pennsylvania. It, it was the wrong state. That was, it wasn't real. It wasn't true. It was misinformation. It was a, it was a fake. And it was just enough to make him look like he was dumb, like they, like they got it wrong. And that, I mean, just those little seeds of doubt are what get to, you know, most of us were like, well, yeah, maybe there is going to be a nanobot in the vaccine that's going to control my brain. I kid you not. I have people in my family that think this. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, we saw there was a, a lot of fear before um, the election that deep fake videos were going to play this big role and they were out there, but they didn't play nearly as an outsized role as I think that some feared. The bigger, you know, vector of disinformation and misinformation came from the president of the United States and, um, you know, and, and his allies. And it's continued, you know, after the election, even though today the Electoral College is meeting to vote to confirm um, you know, President-elect Biden's victory. So, um, you know, it's it's something that is going to morph and evolve um, and is going to, um, you know, find a susceptible audience. The question, I think, is, you know, how susceptible, how large, um, and what can you do to, to mitigate against it? Right. Yeah, okay, I like so, what you said, Mike. The sorry, the just going back real fast to what Mike said about what the Air Force is doing. Like that's something the government can do to to help mitigate this, right? To um, to trace it back for for us and and put it out there so we can see show your work, right? Okay, but we got to go. Okay, to so hold on, scenario. hold on. I it's want to transition before PR okay. shuts us down and censors us. They don't like when we talk about the election or <laughs> politics, Bill and Mike. Um, so don't worry, I'll, I'll take the beatings for that. We'll be okay. But r real quick question on this one, the Honest Ads Act. I don't know how much you, you gentlemen know about it, but really bringing the same type of transparency to social media that's required of traditional advertising, television, magazine, periodicals, you name it. Real quick on your thoughts there. Is, is it going to work? Is it going to help? Is it going, will it do something or is it just a dream? Uh, better than nothing. 
Um, you know, I don't know how many people are going to look at those and, and kind of bring that information into their information matrix and how they evaluate, you know, claims that they see in ads on social media. I don't know how realistic that is, but it's better than nothing. Almost like the Surgeon um, General's yeah. warning. If I'm smoke, a smoker, I'm going to smoke anyway, but I do see it. Maybe it works. Yeah. I mean, if it works at the margins, you know, uh, I think all the better for it. Um, again, well, and, it, and like it, you said, Bill, we got to do something, right? Let's, and, and since this is already something that's out there, let's get it in play. I was just going to say, I hope um, I, I would kind of flip it and say, I think those of us in the media need to kind of do a better job as well and making sure that we're, be, that we're working. Um, the phrase I always use in our newsroom is that we're working with integrity and that um, we're, again, showing our work and being as transparent as possible so that way people can trust us and that, um, you know, I know that their trust in media has eroded in years and in also even in the trade press. And I think that's unfortunate. And, you know, and, I know we're all looking and things we can do to improve that. But um, I think part of the solution is also incumbent on media to, to do a better job too. And that, and that's, that's tough. That's tough medicine as well. Yeah, I'd agree with that. But my dad still gets everything from Facebook. So it's a, it's a multi-hatted problem. I don't know. Carolyn. Okay. Sorry. Let's do it. All right. Yours is, you have the next one too, Eric. Where's your data? Throw the big question out there. Um, you want me to take this? Yeah. I think, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I thought this was, this was a, a good idea because it's, it's, I mean, we're going to find out fast, right? It's, it's everywhere. And, um, uh, you exactly. know, I'm, you know, I, I feel like we, you know, people, our friends joke like, oh, you know, I just bought a mattress and now I have social media ads for mattresses. And you're like, okay, like that's, that's not it. But I do think what, what we're going to come up against is kind of this, what, what types of information are we comfortable having out there? My 5k time from last week, um, or you know, my credit card information, well, obviously less like my income, my, you know, everything, anything else. And I think from a government perspective, what we're seeing is like, Hey, what kind of, um, what kind of information has been, you know, taken or stolen or should be accessible or, or should not. And I, you know, I think if I remember it was, um, did Nico write this one where it was, yeah, he did, he it, was, did, yeah. it was about, um, talking about just how everything's at this, this branch office of one. And, you know, I, I know this segues into another one, but I think that's so true that like what you kind of, you just need what you need to work on, but it's, you can't limit it that way. You can't say like, Oh, I only need these five documents or I only need this, this little bit or only let this part out. It's just going to be everything. And so it's, it's kind of drawing the right. It's, you know, a couple of years ago in the government, there was this big movement to kind of pick your crown jewels, to pick the data that's, that's most important. And I, and I wonder how much of that's going to, of that philosophy is going to filter into our personal lives, but also into to industry where we're saying, hey, this is what's most guarded, but everything else will kind of be with a lesser level of intensity. Right. Well, Mike, you're talking about high value assets, yep. which was really on the civilian side, a big push. Um, but you could you could weave this into CMMC. You know, how are you protecting? Because you know, a lot of that's, that's around controlled, unclassified information. 
right? How are they controlling this? But let's just go to today's the, the beginning of today, right? With with the uh, Cozy Bear Solar Winds breach, right? And and the and the red team tools from FireEye from last week. Solar Winds was the perfect target. It knew where everything was, all the assets, all the traffic. It knew it. So where's your data? Well, it's everywhere. But if if an adversary can go to the the bottlenecks or the choke points, the management and monitoring consoles, they can get to it even when we're 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 restricting it with the with the actual user may see, right? Privileged users, privileged access is going to be a bigger and bigger problem going forward. Um, and I would say at the individual level, same thing. Your 5K time is great. Your social security number isn't. But you know what? They may have your 5K time. They may have your social security number from OPM and five other breaches, Equifax and a few other things, not to pick on anybody. And all of a sudden, I know exactly who you are, or I can at least impersonate you. And that becomes a challenge. And, you know, you talk about um, privileged, privileged access, but then that opens up a whole nother can of worms, which is, you know, identity management, too, that comes with that. And so um, it's it's kind of a it's kind of a reminder that every part of this system needs to be improved and uh, and on point. Yeah. Okay, Carolyn. Yeah. People do well, we're gonna pause. people things. Well, we're going to pause right here. We're going to save that one for next week's episode. Okay. So um, I'm going to thank our listeners. Make sure you tune in next week where we finish the predictions. We'll pick up where we left off next week. Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Google Play Store 